in a world full of misery, rage, and insomnia, there's a place you can go to just unwind. All you have to do is take a long walk into the mountains, and just past the black house with the secret garden, you'll find a small cabin. Inside that cabin, you'll find the Hole in the Wall Book Club. So now that the Dreamcatcher's hung and the fire started, we invite you to pull up a chair and join the Losers Club as we explore the world of officious little pricks and shining on. Hello, and welcome to Hole in the Wall Book Club. I'm Icy, and I'm not going to give an introduction to this podcast. You figured it out by now. We talk about Stephen King and all that jazz. And with me for the first full episode, my best friend in this entire Stephen Kingy world, Mark. Hey, we did it. I feel like I need a fancier name for this. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, what about like Mark of Plier? That surely isn't taken. Um, we'll just go, Mark. Whatever. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we are talking about The Shining. It's the first time we've talked about The Shining. So let's start with what we like. Have you read it before? What is your experience with it? Uh, right. So it's kind of one of those things. When I first started reading uh, Stephen King, I was like, well, I need to read. I need to read the Stephen King novels, right? Like the ones that everyone knows. So The Shining is one of the very first novels that I actually read by Stephen King. I don't think it was the absolute first one. Um, I actually think that I had the luxury of somehow reading the dark half first. Oh my um, God. We're going to fight. We're going to fist fight about that fucking book. Like if we do some kind of, if we read that book and there's a challenge, it's a right. fist fight at the end. We show up the same place and we just fucking duke it out. Okay. Sorry, um, go on. Go on. Anyway, so I have read the shining, although to be terrible. honest with you, um, like I only really remember like the really, high points like i don't remember the particulars of the story because it really has been probably about a decade since right. i read it so I, it still feels very new to me only vaguely familiar this is one that originally i is one of the very early ones i read so i read it like way back in middle school and then i recently reread about a third of it for this podcast yeah. so I'm pretty up to date on the first third. The rest of it is vague memories. Have you seen the movie? I I feel really bad to admit this. Uh, I have not. I've seen almost none of Stephen King's movies. That's fair. I I believe I've seen most of the movie in chunks. This is a movie like I think I I, th I don't think I've ever actually seen the whole movie through. I think I've just seen most of the scenes at various points. Although it so. would be interesting, like if we after we finish the book, like maybe we could do like a like maybe we could both watch the movie and, and I'd be totally of, down for like some bonus time. content stuff. It'd yeah. be fun. But uh, yeah, today we're getting into chapter one through ten. Um, God, you know, seeing like the slow evolution of just novel structure and we get a real book here. Like it's got chapters. The chapters are don't seem to be really stupid sizes. Like there aren't sections, chapters, subsections. We do have sections and chapters. There isn't a prologue, which uh, delightful. But and, the first section is called Perfactory Matters, which I think is basically a prologue. So only uh, half credit. 
Right. Uh, and, and I would like, like to actually say that, um, you know, e even though that I was not like hosting this or co-hosting this uh, for the first few books, I would still argue that this is Stephen King's first legitimate novel that's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, I've I've enjoyed what I've read of it so far. I have some things to talk about in specific well, scenes, too. but overall, I'm I'm enjoying this one. Yeah, I I probably just made all Stephen King fans like cringe at what I just Oh yeah, said. you said Salem's Lot was bad. You were you can't be honest about that. <laughs> Sorry, Salem's right. Lot was horrible. Right. The movie's good. And, and I, I honestly think that people remember the movie and think it was the book. And I feel the same way about it as well. Um, but again, a lot of people are going to hate me for that. But I like whatever. the book it more than the book Salem's Lot. But yeah, I think people remember the movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. First chapter, uh, we have job interview, which right. I think the very first words of this is officious little prick, which just uh, sets <laughs> a great tone. I, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before this book, and I'm immediately in love with it. He says it so many times. Right, which I think is is very telling as well. I think that's a very purposeful thing that Stephen King did, where he said that so many times. Because, uh, like, we're getting uh, Jack, Jack Torrance, having an interview with a guy, Allman, um, right. who's the, like, hotel manager. Which and apparently no one likes, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I think Allman doesn't like Allman. Like, he, he yeah, right. knows no one likes him. He's like, I don't give a shit. I'm good at what I do. Yeah. Fuck y'all. Yeah, right. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't even try anymore. So, yep. And like, we're getting the, uh, both the interview and heavy Jack's internal monologue reviewing the situation. Mm -hmm. And Jack's basic monologue is this guy's an officious little prick. Right. And that's the thing, too. It's over and over and over again, right? Right. Like, he can't, like, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a point in that scene where it even says, like, Jack's, like, hands start to sweat, and he's, like, just sort of, like, wringing his hands, because that's, like, his anger is just, like, building up over this rather minor thing, yeah. right? Because, I mean, this interview is... He's he knows he's getting this job. Yep. Like this, the, we get this a little bit later in the chapter, but like his old drinking buddy pulled strings to get him this job, and literally all he has to do is just listen to this guy talk. And frankly, Almond seems irritating, but the fact that he knows he's irritating kind of diffuses it for me a little bit. Like, yeah, I agree. If I was in that situation, I someone being like, "Yeah, I know, I'm a prick. No one likes me. It's okay if you don't like me." I think that would diffuse my anger just a little bit. I'd be like, all right. Yeah, because it, it sort of like lets you in on the, okay, at least this guy isn't completely like not self-aware, right? Right. Like, self-aware, that's great. He knows he's a prick and well, we can just move on now, right? I mean, and especially in a, uh, so he's applying for a winter caretaker job at the Overlook Hotel. Right. So this isn't even like a, I'm at to see this guy every day. He's going to have to see yeah. this guy maybe twice more. In his life. Right. Exactly. And it's still just the majority of this chapter is spent on how angry Jack is. And I like this. No, I, I, and I really do as well. And I, and I, 
I may not be remembering correctly, but I think this is our only time, at least in the first 10 chapters, where we actually get internal Jack Torrance dialogue. We get... I, I think well, there, so. There's some when you get like a little flashback in the, actual... in the Watson section. You're yes, you're right. Actually. But I don't think it's 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 more him examining memories than responding to the current situation. It is a right. bit different flavor. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's what that scene was was all about. We get an introduction to the Overlook Hotel that it's gorgeous. Uh, we get a it, a bit of its history that it has a sordid history. Um. And basically, they need to hire a winter caretaker because the only way to make it profitable is to have someone there through the winter and keep up maintenance so it's not a huge money pit at the end. The right. functional stuff that happened. Right. Which is just like crazy when you really think about it. But I, I tried to wrap my head around all that. And I, and I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And then I, I got into this whole like wild tangent about like, oh, I wonder if like things like this actually exist. Like, I mean, I have no idea, but I I feel like at that time with like that kind of boiler tech, that we'll see more about the boiler, which I'm not sure if you know, but that boiler might be important. <laughs> yeah. It creeps. I need everyone to understand this boiler. It creeps. It it big time. It's a creeper. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's it like you walk in the room. It tips its hat, milady. I'm like, well, get the fuck out of here, boiler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> So with that boiler, if you didn't have a winter caretaker, taker, it would just have to be dead off. Right. So, I don't know, pipes freezing. I could see it. I could see it being cheaper than having, like, water damage throughout as pipes freeze. I don't know. And let's, and let's be honest, they're probably not paying them that much anyway. Right. right? The, the highest cost to them is probably providing them food. Yeah. Yeah. So. And from there, we jump to Chapter 2, Boulder. And this is a really short one. I think we can just kind of breeze through it. This is when we get flashes externally that Jack's anger is more than just him being angry. So we meet the family. We meet Wendy. We meet uh, Danny. And in this, like, Danny's waiting for Jack. They have a talk about moving. Like, why did dad get fired? And, like, at this point, you know, we, we learn that Jack got fired and that he had some kind of altercation with a kid at his school. We don't get all that much detail yet. Then by the end of this, we get of these chapters, we get a bunch of detail. Right. And it, I mean, it, it came across to me as pretty severe. Like basically right. the kid was like slashing his tires. Um, and Jack Torrance acted pretty, uh, pretty harshly, <laughs> I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and like we get the um, we get a line from Danny, their five year old. Uh, Did he hurt George ha uh, Halffield like the time I spilled all his papers? And then, in the traditional Stephen King style of parentheses with injections of thought, we get Wendy thinking Danny with his arm in a cast. Right, and so we know he hurt his kid at some point. We don't really know the circumstances yet. Yeah, so I I I did enjoy that. Like, well, I mean, not. Yeah, okay. Let's <laughs> don't take me out of context. I'm just trying to say I really enjoy that this guy broke his kid's arm. No, and, and again, and I, this is I think this is going to be the um the ongoing theme when we continue talking about section one, which section one 
uh, I think it's section one or part one or whatever. Part one, I think. So yeah, part, part one, I think is is really going to set up a few very important things, and one of them, which we've already touched on, is Jack's anger and just how extreme it can go when he loses it, right? Right. And yeah, I mean he's he's hurt his kid before pretty badly. Um, he's lost his job over this. And then again, in the first scene, you see him already like just not even he can barely sit still over something minor. Right. Stephen King does a really interesting thing with Jack's anger specifically that I think is just his standard story structure, but applied to an emotion. And it's that he's he introduces Jack's anger and then immediately recontextualizes it from a different viewpoint. So it's not just this guy has a temper. It's this guy has a temper and has hurt people with it. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit with this. I'm not going to get specific, but this book does a lot of that where it's like, hey, so here's what you thought happened. Here's more that changes the meaning a lot. And that's that's something Stephen King does a lot in his settings. Like um, the one thing I will give him about Salem's lot is he did a good, he did a interesting, here's your normal world. And now here's a different look at that. And it's not so normal and just slowly introducing more and more elements. Um, and Very I just think, slowly. right. Yeah. <laughs> the pacing on a little, but um, I, I do like that. It went from, here's a guy with an anger problem, immediate next chapter. Here is other people realizing this is a much bigger problem than he seems to realize. And I just really enjoy that recontextualization he does throughout at least the beginning of this book. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, you could just take from the first chapter, the guy's a hothead, right? Right. And then, like you were saying, like then you start getting into the second chapter, and you're like, oh, okay, no. like It actually manifests itself into actual physical violence, too. Um, So that's a huge issue. I mean, that's like the key points there. And from there... Chapter three, Watson introduces my personal favorite character of this entire book. <laughs> the old caretaker. Basically, Jack goes down to the basement and the whole time he's real pissed off that uh, Allman doesn't understand that the nerve center of a, of a hotel is the basement. <laughs> he's real pissed that like, he didn't show me the basement. But, so Watson is like the descendant of the dude who built this hotel. They fell on hard times and now he works there as the caretaker. Yep. And he... Okay, I listened to this junk in an audiobook. And I don't know if this experience was just made so much better by the narrator because Watson talks in a rapid fire, just never ending string of colloquialisms. And the narrator did it in the best voice and just this like constant cadence. I'm like, one of my favorites of that is talking about Allman, like, Brains were powder. He wouldn't have enough to blow his nose. I'll tell you what. It's almost like <laughs> Boomhauer-esque. And I yeah. love it. Right. Oh. And and again, you're reading through the scene. And, and first of all, the scene is doing a lot of stuff. Because it's actually telling you how the hotel works. Right. Right. And what Jack needs to do. And it's also introducing some very, very important story elements that, uh, you know, a lot of foreshadowing foreshadowing is happening within this chapter. But oh, is that also, what he was trying to do with the it creeps? I thought he just liked that phrase. I yeah. totally missed foreshadowing. I forgot. Right. No, but, but then the yeah. other thing is, again, what he also did 
because Watson clearly hates Ullman as well. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches when it comes oh, to yeah. what he's saying about Ullman. He can't stand the guy. But again, Stephen King is showing a contrast between Watson, who literally doesn't hold he doesn't hold anything back. Like yep. he says exactly what he's thinking, but he shows that contrast between how a regular person would handle that and a how regular person who has to go with Ullman daily. Right. Not once. <laughs> Exactly. In an interview, which I don't know, in my mind, I because he already has the job, I expected that interview to last like 20 minutes. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think Jack uses this to self-justify his own level of anger at Allman. And yeah, that was delightful. Like that scene was really cleverly written because you've got the droning on of Watson and it yeah, as you said, it's introducing the here's the mechanical things about the hotel you need to know. It creeps. Uh, also, it creeps. Um, it may or may not creep. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it explained that it's an old ass furnace. Um, you have to release some pressure out of it or shit's going to blow up. Um, he's got to like reshingle part of the roof. Here's your to do list. Um, and then it kind of turns into a drone about like the history dropping little hints at all these tragedies that have happened in the hotel and how shitty Allman is at existing. And yeah. it allows like Jack to self-justify his anger. And then it becomes this background drone where we, as the readers are picking up some details, Jack isn't listening and we get like him just getting lost in his own thoughts while Watson talks on. Yeah. I think he literally said, uh, something along the lines of I, I, then he asked me a question and I realized I hadn't been like paying attention like at all. Uh, I, I don't yep. know. It, I read it several days ago. I can't remember. So yeah. Um, somewhere in between the first and third chapter, we also learned about Grady, who was the previous winter caretaker or one of the previous winter caretakers. And um, he got the old cabin fever, killed his wife and his, uh, his daughters and then shot himself. Right, which I which I I have a I have some things to say about this as well because I find it interesting. Um, first of all, I took this as this was the very last caretaker. That was like, the vibe was I like, got. But yeah, I last hedge. Yeah, so who, who knows? But like, I just took it as like, hey, last season, surprise, this is what happened. Hey, um, one first job. Uh, can you pick up that <laughs> body? We just pushed it in the basement for the season. Yeah. It's getting wrecked. <laughs> right. Uh, and don't worry, we don't have any rats, so they were completely okay. The 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 on and on about definitely there's no rats in the hotel, no. um, which is then debunked by every single other employee. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I will. I thought it was interesting because basically you took a family, right, and the guy basically lost it and killed his family, and then to replace him, you take another family with a guy who has severe anger issues. Right. And that's why Allman is straight up like, I don't think you're right for the job. If it was my decision, I wouldn't hire you because I don't want this to happen again. Like Allman's in the right. <laughs> Do you think that Allman was actually coming from like that sort of logical place though. Cause I know that he said you're not the right guy for this, but I almost took it as almost like a personality conflict. Like I didn't give Ullman any credit 
Okay, I actually did, because Allman said, you're not the right guy for this. I know you have a history of drinking, and I know you have a history of anger. I don't want you to kill your family. I don't think he cared oh, about no. Torrance's family. I think he didn't want his caretaker to kill the family in the middle of the winter and lose value on the hotel. Right. So I'm going to give him credit on his logic, not on his emotional capacity. Okay, that's fair. Allman straight up was like, he's going to go bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Jack's response to that. He's like, well, was the guy who killed all his family was, was Grady? Uh, was he a high school dropout? Because he sounds real dumb. And <laughs> he has a high school dropout. And he's like, well, that's your problem. Smart people like me, I can keep myself busy. We read books, we okay? We that, read books. That was essentially his entire point. Was, yeah. We're good because I can read. Yeah, oh, I'm. we're good because I can read, and I'm not an alcoholic anymore. <laughs> I haven't had a drink in, like, oh, a bit over a year. We're fine. Yeah, right. And being cooped up in this hotel is definitely not going to trigger me at all. Right. So when we jump to Chapter 3, which time-wise is maybe 20, 30 minutes later, and um, he's finished being angry about Allman, we then get a flashback in his mind to the time he broke his son's arm. You know, just so we know how under control his anger is. Right. But the one, another interesting thing about this is again, you are starting to learn, and this is again another reoccurring theme in the first section uh, or in, in part one, is you really are starting to learn the emotional damage that it actually did to Jack when he broke his son's arm. Right. So, like this truly did break him like in many, many ways. And he even says in, in, in chapter three, I believe he says, this is why it seemed like it happened 20 minutes ago and not two years ago to him. Right. This has this always happened 20 minutes ago because he's never been able to move on, which completely makes sense. He broke his son's arm, his five-year-old. Well, I guess it was three at the time. Um, why he was drunk. And he he's, just he's a writer. Out. We haven't introduced that yet. He's a Stephen King character, and he's a main character, and he's a male. So, yep, you win the prize. <laughs> he's a writer. You got yeah. it right, dear listeners. Right. Um, but his kid spilt beer on, I think it was a book he was writing at the time. A book or a play, whatever. I think it was a play. And he like grabbed Danny by the arm. And it's, I think it's very important to, to note that he never actually takes responsibility at any point. This is all like, he, he feels terrible and he makes it clear. Like I fucked up, but it was an accident. Like, and it yeah. may have been an accident, but it's hard to tell. It's just, yeah. I think it's important to note that like in his mind, this is a terrible mistake, like accident he made not a mistake he made. I don't know. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Like he doesn't fully. And, and this is the problem, right? Like he's still trying to get through it. I think emotionally and he's just not there yet. And he can't, right. he feels constant grief and shame being around his wife. And I think he gets more into that later, but right. Um, yeah, again, he's truly broken from this. And much like you were saying when you said, like, he doesn't really fully own up to it, it's important to note that we find out just a little bit later 
that this was not the event that caused him to stop drinking. Exactly. Right. Right. And I think that's why it's so important for for it to be noted that this is something I'm pretty sure he just thought this could have happened when I was sober. Like this could have easily happened when I was sober. The, the alcohol had nothing to do with this. Like, right. There's that in there. Cause the, the thing that happens to make him stop drinking, it is clearly the, the alcohol that is making this happen. Yeah. But we'll get back. Yeah. It's, um, and this is again, like in the last chapter, we got Danny's arm in a cast. And that was the information we got on it. Jack was involved. Danny broke his arm. And then here, next chapter, we get a total recontextualization of that by seeing a different perspective on it. I, I just really enjoy that thing he keeps doing. Okay, right. Not Jack. Yeah. Jack, I would prefer if he never broke a child's arm again. Exactly. Like, um, but, you know, like I, like I said, I think in the very beginning, or maybe even the, the intro here, uh, it, it really is crazy to see the evolution of Stephen King's writing in The Shining versus literally just his previous books. Right. Um, it really is a huge star, like a stark contrast for me. Um, like I'm going to compare this to the love between, I can't even remember the, the main characters. Sue, I think, because he used Sue twice in a row. And whoever the main character of Sam's Lot is. Um, yeah, ben? Ben. That sounds familiar, yeah. There are several points in that where they're like, I don't know why I love you so much. It feels destined. And like, and that just is what happened. Stephen King was like, oh, I'm just going to write that this is destined. And I'm like, yeah, right. what? and compare that to this. Exactly. Like he's, he's finally he getting to a point. Or not less cocaine on this book. Yeah, it was less cocaine on Stephen King's part. And he's finally getting to a point where he's like, oh, yeah, my characters are late. They have to have depth to be believable. You know, like it's not right. just here. So I think that's basically this. Um, there's a lot more little details. It got it peppered throughout this whole thing. We know that both Jack, we know that Wendy is thinking about divorce and has been thinking about divorce for a long time. And we know that Jack fucking knows it. And we know yeah. that they haven't talked about it. They almost did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll see from both perspectives. It's actually a thing I liked. I love that. I really, really did love that. I absolutely I, could have done without the um, introduction to Wendy's perspective on that whole event. It seemed gratuitous, but it's fine. I don't, I don't actually recall. Uh, the, when we get the chapter where we get her perspective on that, it starts with uh, talking about um, his hot seed drying on her thighs. Oh, right. Like, Which was said, by the way, that was said more than once. Yep. It wasn't even necessary the first time, and it was said on more than one occasion. Yep. And I was yeah. like, hey, this is just as awkward the second time around. What do you you know? did it, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, from that chapter, we jump into four, Shadowland. And this is when we get a, a chapter focused on Danny, and that Danny's a weird fucking kid. Right. Uh, I believe this starts with Danny... Sitting on the side or in the um, like the sidewalk outside the house, waiting on his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of a talk between the mom and Danny about like you know do we how do you feel about the move? And Danny basically we're finding out that Danny is very hesitant about the move, but putting on a happy face because he want because he knows that once this information came up, his parents stopped thinking about divorce. 
Oh, yeah, we should probably right. mention Danny's psychic. Yeah, he's we, a child we, who got his heart broken three. Of course, he's psychic. <laughs> yeah, we really it's glossed over that. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Is this where we get the whole full on thing? Yeah, this is when you get the scene of like his, the premonition scene. And I was just looking right. at like where he's seeing like like a future view of like Danny, get back here and take your like medicine. Right. And it's not as it's I don't think it's explicitly ever said like straight out that that's his dad. Right, right. But you gotta you you have you have a really good feeling that's a big possibility because because Danny basically says, and I can't remember exactly the the sort of how this is phrased, but basically it's like, and the person who's saying it should not be like the person saying it. Yeah. Right. Like it's clearly somebody he knows and he's close to, and you you already know that they're about to be isolated altogether. So you're already, you know, you're already oh drawing your conclusions. I think that Grady thing was foreshadowing. <laughs> Clever minx. <laughs> you sly fox. Uh, there's a focus here on a Roke mallet. If you don't know what Roke is, congratulations. You're normal. Uh, <laughs> it's like a predecessor to, ah, damn it. What's that? Uh, is that okay? I think okay. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that came to mind to try and find the word was that weird game they play with flamingos in yeah. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Um, and jumping ahead a little bit, like during that premonition, we get the uh, words "croak, stroke, croak, stroke" as the sound mm -hmm. this thing's making cutting through the air. Uh, it covered in blood. And uh, right. I'm jumping ahead just a little bit in this chapter when his dad gets home. He, for just a moment, sees a bloody roke mallet on the side of the passenger seat where the uh, groceries are. Right. Starting to think it's that full foreshadowing thing. I'm glad you turned me on to that. It's making a lot of this make a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the foreshadowing in, in the book is is so hidden that I'm if I didn't bring it up, I mean, who would have ever have picked up on it? I mean, yeah. it's almost three shadowing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that's the dumbest joke I've ever made. I'm going to hell for it. Oh no! I uh, hope you, you're keeping that in. That's a good joke. Oh, I'm keeping it in. <laughs> I don't have it. Uh, yeah, we uh, we learn about Tony. Uh, Tony is uh, what Danny's parents call his imaginary friend, um, though it is a psychic force of some form talking to him and showing him these visions. Like, I think it's pretty pretty obvious to us, the readers. This is all very real. It, it is real in a very interesting sense. And the thing that I sort of was asking myself through, especially this chapter, and I think we see Tony a little bit more later on yeah, in just the first 10 chapters. And I keep going back and forth how I, how I feel about this. Is Tony an individual being with his own thoughts and his own conscious consciousness or is Tony somehow just an extension, like a manifestation of Danny's own powers and the ability to have like premonitions of the future. Right. And, and sort of given to him in a way that he can understand it and he can trust it. Right. I actually cannot, I don't know. There is a weird bit, and this is jumping ahead a little bit. 
There's yeah. a bit later where I think it's a doctor is talking to the parents about Tony. And he mm -hmm. says, you do know why he chose the name Tony, right? And I, as the reader, don't fucking know. Still, still. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, wait. What if Tony is secretly Dutters? Never mind. I'm not going to go on a, uh, <laughs> on a uh, fucking Dreamcatcher rant right now. Uh, we're going to read that one soon. I'm excited. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, from there, I think we get like a little bit that uh, Danny's parents kind of know that he's a bit different, but try to deny it. And Danny started hiding it. We know that he, he can think a certain way to make Tony come. And he doesn't do that because it looks like he kind of, you know, passes out or yeah, when he does yeah. it. So he doesn't freak out his parents. And it, it also seemed like he didn't really have a good grasp or control on it either. I, I think he even right. said, like, there's been a lot of times where I've tried to talk to Tony, but he doesn't show up. And, and I think it should be noted that until this scene, like, we get a brief history on, like, Tony. Just, like, just very brief, like, other times Tony has come. But he makes a very big point that this is the only time Tony has ever scared him. Right. And I think, like, he keeps... He pushes a lot of these visions out of his mind um, throughout the next bit of this by basically being like, but Tony isn't always right. Yeah, that's that's a big thing, too. Like, and I that's just, you know, Danny trying to cope with this scene. And again, you have to remember, he's five. Right. Right. Like he's five. And he has been able to hear the, the word divorce in his parents' mind, not know what it mean, means, be able to feel all the emotions involved. Right. And also feel the word suicide in his dad's mind with the same concept. And he's torn between, okay, this shit Tony's showing me scares the hell out of me, but since they started talking about moving, those words have gone away. Right. And it is a rough spot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, with Stephen King logic, he's going to be extra shiny by the end of all this. <laughs> he's going to be like, burn down two towns shiny. I'm done. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure until the Institute, you couldn't really confirm that like Carrie's style of powers was actually the shining, like the same thing. I think it was the Institute put TK and TP as one concept. Right. They sort of categorized it and just said, hey, like this is an actual part of the world as a whole. Right. Because um, like from there, like before then, you kind of either had people who had telekinesis in a book or telepathy in a book. You had the shining people or like the carry slash fire starter people. Right. It was interesting that the Institute finally being like, yeah, they're both powers. They're both here. It's fine. You can have both. It's fine. Which is a good book, by the way. Oh, I like that book a lot. Right. Enjoyed that one. I think the only other things we really need to get from this scene is that Danny loves his dad more than his mom. <laughs> he's definitely yeah, a dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's definitely a, a daddy's boy, like big time. I mean, this is again. You're you're seeing the scene where Danny is just like literally waiting outside for his dad to come home, reaching uh, out with his mind to make sure his dad hasn't crashed. Right. And these are also some interesting things, too, because you actually see Danny concentrate and basically peep in to the conversation that his dad is having with Ullman. That or maybe Watson. Yeah, I think it's right. Out. Yeah. So, so basically, he can reach 
far out and actually hear conversations that are not happening anywhere close to him. Yep. Right? Uh, so I think that's really important. And, and yeah, like the, the things that he sees, I mean, he sees like the red rum, like blood stuff in this scene as well. Um, I mean, he basically sees it all. Like it's some, some really gruesome stuff. Um, but I just want to say too, that it's important to note Danny's seeing all this happen in the Overlook Hotel, but he has no idea that that's where his dad is actually in. This place is just unknown to him. He's just seeing a place that he's never seen before in these visions. He has no idea that that's where he's about to go. Right. He's just got Tony telling him, yo, future scary. Yeah. And the bad thing, I think Tony, even at some point, didn't Tony say in this chapter, he said like, don't go. Or was that later? If not in this chapter, um, we get a chapter near the end where he has another vision. And he definitely says in that one. I think he might have said it in both. Yeah, I mean, he certainly says it before he goes, right? And he he's going to get there before the 10 chapters are over. Right. Um, which I thought was weird, too. Like, that's a lot of, like, agency. Like, a five-year-old doesn't have that much a- agency, right? Like, hey, Danny, five-year-old. Like, don't go, buddy. Like, when your parents leave, like, you should just stay back. Well, I mean, I will say, there's a scene later where Wendy talks to Danny privately. And is like, do you want to go? Like, And I fully believe that if Danny said no, Wendy would have called this off. This woman, I'm going to break out of the order here a little bit. Like, we get a bit about Wendy at some point, and we see that, like, their marriage was on the rocks already. Things were falling apart. And she frankly admits that she would have left um, Jack already if her mom wasn't just the worst person that's ever lived. We get a little bit on their relationship. Basically, at some point, Wendy's dad left and Wendy's mom was like, hey, it's your fault. Like very openly, constant throughout her childhood. Like, oh, it's your fault. Your dad left. I need you to know that. And now she constantly judges the way that she takes care of Danny as well. It's just like a constant right. nightmare for her over and over and over again. Which again, I, I like for me, like I just started wondering, like, I wonder how much she was actually just pressed into being with Jack just to get away right. from her family. Although it did kind of sound like their relationship was pretty good in the beginning, yeah. in the very beginning. But whose isn't, right? I like mean- the first a like, lot of mine. <laughs> this podcast is about to get real personal. I'm, I'm exclusively attracted to red flags. It's just yeah, right. my uh, my type is someone who will ruin my life. Yeah, right. And quickly. It better oh, be quick. Yeah. I don't have time to be waiting around. Come on. So. I'm getting old. I need my yeah. life ruined now. Yeah, right. Uh all right, so I, I think that pretty much wraps up that scene. And again, just an, a lot of important things because you're learning what Danny can do, a, a lot of what Danny can do, what he's capable of. You learn about Tony. You get a lot of the premonition stuff. Right. Um, or possible premonition stuff. This definitely isn't like, you know, foreshadowing in any way. Glad I learned that word today. It's been useful. <clears throat> right. And this ends with Jack getting home and like 
a cutesy scene with like, hey, I got the job. And Danny just being like, yo, my parents are actually happy. This is yeah. awesome. Right. And uh, yeah, from there, uh, next chapter is Phone Booth, which is another Jack-centric, let's reveal some history chapter. I think yeah. this is when we get why Jack quit drinking, right? I believe it is. And it, the whole thing starts out with basically he's driving up to the store to use the phone booth, even though they have a phone in their house, because he hated the fact that Wendy pressed him to get a phone because they have a child. And he's so stubborn about it, and he can't let his pride go that he has to drive all the way to the store to use the phone just so Wendy doesn't see him use the house phone. Yup. And I gotta say, this was another one of those time shock things where I was like, the fuck doesn't have a phone? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, right. This threw me off for a sec. It's very, very important to know the, the time setting of this book. There's something Stephen King is not shy about, like dating his books. And I actually really appreciate it. I think I might have talked about this in the cast before, but him putting his books in a specific point in time instead of it being current day, I think keeps them from ever feeling dated. It's like, yeah, when you set something in current day and it doesn't have a cell phone, you're like, what? Right. But if you said but something also, in 1980 and it doesn't have a cell phone, that just feels fine. Yeah, you're like, well, I know, yeah, 1980. It, I, that yeah. completely makes sense. No one did have cell phones. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good literary element, and I still think he he still does that, right? Like the institute. Yep. Well, no, that was set in modern times. But I, I think it, quote unquote, I think it was set closer to our time, but still in a specific time. Like, even when he writes a book that takes place now, it takes place in, like, 2018. Now. Yeah, you, you see the year, right? Right. And it's, then, it, it's current for now, but years from now, it's still going to be, this is the time it took place. Yeah, and then 30 years later, when somebody makes a podcast about your books, they can, they can still get into it, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll be me, but in a robot body. <laughs> right. I don't think you're going to make it through the whole revolution. I'm planning on selling you out to robots, so. Hey, man, like I said, ruin my life and ruin it fast. Okay. So. I mean, maybe at this point, like at that point, I think RNN tech will be good enough and I'll just like train up a co host. Yeah. <laughs> right. Use a program one. Uh, All right. So, yeah, we have, the, we have the phone booth scene, which is again just showing you a lot of Jack's character, the fact that he has to do all this. Danny um, waiting in the car, looking over maps. Yep. Looking over maps, and yeah, I, I remember the, I think the call itself, excuse me, the call itself was very short, but I think right. this is when Jack has the flashback of sort of going over everything that happened. Yep. Um, and the flashback. Al, that, that I said to check the name. Yep. Al Shockley. Shockley uh, that sounds Shockley, about right. Something like that. Um, you, you want to go ahead and get into the flashback now about what? Uh, yeah, sure. Because that's when we get the um, everything that happened with what's that kid's name? I love that this book. After a certain point, I'm gonna have to remember like four names because they're all gonna be stuck in a fucking hotel together. <laughs> right. that point, whew, it's killing me. 
Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not like the stand where there's 37 main characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we get this story of, well, we get the first story with details of uh, what happened between him and uh, George Hatfield. Right? Right. I don't think you get a lot more details. About no, that. I'm realizing not. I think this was more about them like going out and drinking. And right. Yeah. You know, okay. Driving home. In the introduction of Al, we find that Al was on the board of the school he used to teach for. Um, Al's got the one getting him the job at the Overlook. Al was his old drinking buddy, and that's why he's still standing by him. And yeah, that flashback. We get Al and Jack driving home, drunk as fuck. I believe Al was driving. Yes. And they hit a bike. Just in the middle of the road, they hit a child a child's bike. Yep. And they spend several hours searching to make sure they didn't kill a kid. Right. And this is the first time Jack takes responsibility for his drinking. Like, he quits. Um, he actually goes to the logic of like, yeah, Al was drinking or driving, but I was yesterday. So this could have just as likely been me. Right. And, and, I, and they do make it a point to be, they do this every night. Yep. Yep. Every single night. And yeah, it's either him driving or Al. And it's, it's every night. Yeah. And I find it really interesting that we get back to back. Hey, here's the story of, from my perspective of me breaking my kid's arm. Hey, here's the story from my perspective of my drinking buddy running over a child's bike in the road. That's when I quit drinking. Like it's, it seems like he's willing to take responsibility for potential terrible things that could have happened, but not for the thing that actually did happen, which I think is interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird thing. And I wonder if it's, I, I wonder if it's because, like he's he's already seen it happen in sort of a real life, right? Like he broke his son's arm, and you right. know how broken up he is about that, right? Right. We've already read that. He's like, yeah, it feels like it happened two hours ago and not two years ago, and it always feels like that. And he always wants that drink because of it. And now you have a scene where he runs over a, a child's bike, and they spend hours searching for what they think they're going to find a dead kid. Yep. And that's hours of sobering up. Yep. And like they make Jack, Jack specifically makes a point over and over to be like, if there's no kid, why was this bike in the middle of the road? A kid wouldn't leave the bike in the middle of the road. Right. And by the end of this, we find out that Danny, like at some point we find out that Danny has wo woken up Wendy that same night, his mom being like, did, I had a dream that dad had an accident. Yeah. And Jack comes home, swears off drinking, and actually does. I still personally believe that Danny or Tony was involved in putting that bike in the road. I have a, another interesting theory. Oh, um, okay. Was it right? Really in <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I thought the same thing, too. Which I thought, okay, maybe it was it was Danny or Tony, which I still think maybe just be an extension of Danny and not its own institute. Right. But what Danny I also right, but what I also considered is if you look at, and this is going to be some stuff we haven't 
really read yet, but you know where the story is going, right? This right. isn't a new story. Let's not I, pretend like 90% of our viewership doesn't already know the end of The Shining. Right? They're like, The Shining, what's that? A lot of people <laughs> who, most people who haven't read The Shining know the general concept of The Shining. Yeah, and if you haven't read it before, you're probably not coming here first. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to learn about well, it. That'll be Dreamcatcher because y'all have been <laughs> sleeping on Dreamcatcher, the linchpin of the Stephen King universe. I'm very excited to get into that too. Oh, me um, too. But so I, I followed it through the whole sort of evolution of what happened because he quit drinking, which probably actually made him a little bit more irritable. Right. This, if he was still a drunk, he would have never gotten a job at the Overlook. Right. So my mm. curiosity is that, did the hotel put the bike there? Ah, okay. Because that so you're saying it was, it was Mr. Gray. <laughs> but anyway, okay. yeah, so I, think, I think that may have been one of the dominoes that had to fall to get him there. And why would it pick him? Well, he's exactly like Grady. He's exactly like the first caretaker. Same thing. Family, issues, a drinker. Yeah, by the time he gets to the job... It's like, oh, he's quit for a year, but he still has all those characteristics. So I wonder if it wasn't the hotel. It's a bit of a stretch. I mean, honestly, though, if we tap into like general Stephen King often used concepts, another reason it might have been Jack is evil things like sucking out the shining of little kids. <laughs> Yeah, I could have phrased that in a way that couldn't be taken out of context to put me in jail, but <laughs> I didn't. So here we are. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm into that theory. I'm super into that theory. Because like, that is the event that also stopped um, Wendy and Jack from divorcing. Like, exactly. Wendy was ready. Like, I Yeah, think... they, they had the conversation, I think, the next day. Right. And that's when he says, give me a week. And then if you still want to talk about it in a week, then we'll talk about it. Yep. And so it had to happen that night. Yeah. When we get that from Wendy's perspective, um, and when she's later thinking about it again, I just want to toss this out there. There is a little bit in there when she points out, like, I don't even know why I didn't just say I'm leaving right then. And then at some point, I don't remember exactly where it falls. She mentions that anytime she'd think about divorce, she would look at Danny and she could like feel that he could feel it. And she almost felt like he was pushing the thought out of her mind, right. which us knowing her, his powers may straight up been of what happened. I think is, it was like subconsciously Danny knows he doesn't know what divorce is, but I think there, there's a point in one of the chapters where he says, well, I know that, like, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it, it means that one parent has to move into a different house and you hardly ever see them again. Right. Cause one of his old friends at like the preschool thing. Right. Told him that yep. he's got that childhood concept of it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's my big theory is that the, the I like and, it. Just, and just talking about, you know, pushing the, all the theories like, to the side just for a moment why would a bike be there 
because the way they described the street, it was not a neighborhood street. It was right. not a city street. It, the way they described it or the way I pictured it into my head was this was basically out in the middle of nowhere. They were coming in from the bar or whatever. They're driving home. They're drunk. Cause I think even they, at some point they were like, what, how, like why the hell is a bike here? Right. Right. And, and it's like, so out of place that that's what got me thinking. Like yeah. there's something to this. They search for a few hours and only a couple cars drive by. It's the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. And they, they make that like a point that. too. Yeah. Um, from not too much else happens in this chapter. He talks to Al quickly and it's basically, Hey, almonds a prick. I got the job. Let's do this thing. Right. It's really not much. And I, I think there was, I think there was some mention of like, Hey man, like you might be coming back next year. Like some people are already, right. to, like we're already a little bit too hasty about the decision. So yeah. Al's whole thing is like, eh, just, coast by on this keep your head down keep writing writing your play because the reason he was liked to the school was he's written a novel they got some recognition he's working on a play that people think will bring recognition to him in the school yep. and like they, they're kind of worried about missing out on that so i was like uh, al's like keep your head down work on your shit we're gonna fix all this setting up that like golden goose at the end of all of it right um and from there, we get into next chapter is the night thoughts. We've talked a little bit about this, the way it starts and the way it ends unnecessarily with the uh, slowly <laughs> drying semen. Sorry, slow, slowly drying seed. Yeah, um, it's so, this, so awkward. And this is where we get like Wendy's pers like perspective on the divorce thing, um, which we've, I think we've kind of talked about most of that. And then we get a bit of her talking about just how fucking weird her kid is. Like, just her noticing and the telepathy basically, and then justifying why it's not telepathy. Yeah. Which I think is, is almost fair, right? Like oh yeah. If was in real life, I think you'd be like, wow, that almost seems like it's telepathy, but like, it can't be right. Like that's ridiculous. If people like, I would know, like everyone would know if that was really a thing. Right. Right. So even though it's, it's ridiculous, it almost makes sense. I, I don't know. So, yeah, and I have a little story for this one, at least. Uh, we get a little bit at this of uh, Danny's birth. He was born beyond the veil with the like oh, yes. call still over his face. I forgot about that, yeah. Have I ever told you about my birth? Because I get to one-up Danny. We actually don't talk about that very often. Oh, um, weird, weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Why does that not come up? Uh, it, on, on the day of my birth, uh, my father still said, okay, no, let's, on the day of my birth, I came out in a completely unbroken embryonic sack. Wow. My mom's water never broke. They had to cut that shit open. Um, there was an, an old nursemaid there who my dad still claims this is the creepiest moment of his entire life, turned to him and said, that means he'll have second sight. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure she cursed me with schizophrenia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I was born in an unbroken, broken embryonic sack. I was basically popped out like an egg. So I fuck can't, you, Eddie. My yeah, birth was cooler. Yeah, right. Where's my shining? Wait, wait, to, wait to one up, Icy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen King. If you would like to write a book about me, I'm available. I would ask that you keep my child abuse to a minimum. 
just like half right. a cup of juice. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I had to say about this chapter. I want to talk about me for a bit. How about you? <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I don't really remember anything um, about like they talked about like the significance behind uh, the birth and stuff like that. It was kind of interesting because I didn't really feel like it necessarily added anything. The one thing I liked that it did is we just got um, Jack's perspective on the whole divorce thing. And then we get Wendy's. I did like no, that. I think, and I think that was very important. Uh, but just like the birth itself. Uh, That's true. I was just like, okay, like that happens, right? Like, um, I mean, like the whole beyond, born beyond the veil, like with a call on your face is like such a classic supernatural influence thing in so many cultures. It just felt like a, and here's some like cultural legitimacy to this. Right. It kind of felt like he didn't quite know what he wanted the shining to be on a larger scale. <laughs> Which is fair, right? Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, his first few books were absolute garbage. Um, I mean, I, this Carrie was okay. It happened. Some really cool scenes that later <laughs> got done better in Dreamcatcher. There's Lynch been in the Stephen King. You know what? Fuck you. Carrie had local heartthrob Tommy Ross. That makes the book worth it. Uh, and maybe heartthrob. that was the whole reason the book was written. Uh, let's see. I think so I... that. Let's see. And then we get the other, our next chapter, we get the Danny having another nightmare. It's honestly, it's kind of just the first hallucination, but or hallucination, the first visions, but more. Um, this is chapter seven, right? Yeah. In another bedroom. We basically just get Danny freaking out about the, the overlook and then lying about it. Being like, no, I'm fine. And again, just seeing, just seeing that word red rum, like over right. and over again. Yeah, like those both of those chapters six and seven. I, I I feel like I am making it sound like they weren't good. They were enjoyable to read. They were um, very good. Yeah. yeah, they're just not to talk about. Does that make sense? Like, there's not a huge amount to say about them. Yeah, I mean it because the, these this is where you're starting to get some of the the actual like horror scenes, right? And it is it is sort of hard to break those down. Um. Because you're like, yeah, this is some scary shit. Yeah. Like, it's just written as like flashes of scary scenes. So like, right. I mean, I the guess only... if you want to, if you want to read just the spooky bits, read chapter four and seven. <laughs> right. I mean, the only thing you really have is Danny saying, well, you know, Tony's not always right. Right. You yeah. Know, Tony's like, been well, wrong before. It's, it's yeah. right. And then we end that. That's the end of part one. And uh, part two, closing day. Part two is basically where everything's all set and we're going to the Overlook. Yep. Um, I don't have too much to say on eight and nine, like individually. It's kind of just them getting to the Overlook. We get more of Danny being uncomfortable, but also feeling the happiness and emotions of his parents and it being better than it's felt for a long time. So he shuts up. I do have one small thing and I don't remember if it happened in eight or nine, but as they're driving to the overlook hotel um, and 
you continuously get this uh there's a lot of dialogue about because they drive like this old beat up bug right and like you just keep hearing like the cars like trying to make it up the mountain and it's like they get to a point where the car is only going like 10 miles an hour and they keep talking about it's actually been uh talked about in several other chapters as well like the fuel pump is going out like again this right. is an old beat up car and there is one line in chapter eight or nine where they're all in the car or maybe they had stopped somewhere i can't remember and either danny or wendy they're super concerned about the vehicle and jack just like nonchalantly says he's like no big deal i have absolute faith that the car is going to make it this last trip once a stress he actually says this last trip and maybe maybe i read that wrong you know, I'm gonna like I'm so okay. curious now. Like, I want to go back and see if so, I read that correctly. There is a bit near the beginning when he's like debating, like, can the car make it? And he kind of makes this decision, like, as long as it makes it through the winter, we're fine because then I'll have the money to buy a new car. And I think oh, that's so what maybe he's thinking, okay. but I don't think that's what he was meant to be saying to us. Like, right. I think I think that might be that weird foreshadowing thing again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, I, and that was another interesting, I think, thing I want to point out there is we're getting that through Danny's perspective and Danny feels in, in his mom's mind that she's terrified the car is not going to make it. And Danny is absolutely certain the car is going to make it because his dad is. Yep. And it's just, I think, important to set that dynamic. It's a little thing in there that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, he, he has ultimate faith and trust in his dad, even though his dad has broken his arm and he remembers that. Event. Yep. yep. So chapter nine is basically them getting to the overlook. Um, it's not a bad chapter, just not too terribly much more happens. And we see Allman being good at his job. He has a old lady who's flipping out because she can't use her American express and he calms her down. Uh, and we or see, Danny yeah, read yeah. an old woman's lecherous mind. And again, I, I just think that's important too. Like, cause you see in like the first few chapters, like everybody hates this guy. And then you see just like a quick paragraph. I was like, okay. Yeah. It like, nobody likes him, but he is actually good at what he does. So. And basically it's, it's the day everything's closing. Everyone is going to be gone by the end and they're going to be alone by the end of this day. Right. Yeah, I'm just I don't there. have much more on those, but I have some opinions on that. The next chapter, Halloran. <laughs> well, let's let's get right into it. Yeah, because in Halloran, they meet the cook, Mister Halloran. Yep. And I know that this book was set in a simpler time when people were more trusting. <laughs> but if some old dude met my five-year-old child for the first time, and was like, "What's up, buddy?" Do you really want to stay here all winter? Don't you want to come to Florida with me? Please come to Florida with me. I'm leaving in 30 minutes. That's my truck. You can be in it. If you miss it, I'm going to this airport. Here's my flight number. I'll be there till this time. Then I'm going to this city, taking this boat, this hotel. You can come to Florida with me. Hey, parents, I'm just joshing. Come to Florida. I'm going to project into your mind, literally. Come to Florida. Yeah, it was it was very uh I mean he did say it jokingly, but the problem is he said it 
like over uh, like a few times. And jumping to the end of this chapter, this chapter ends with him being like, "Hey, um, come to Florida. Can your kid carry my bags out to my truck with me? We'll just be like twenty minutes. It's fine." Yeah, and just to give you some perspective, I do have a five-year-old right now, and there is zero chance, zero chance that I'm going to say, "Oh yeah, buddy, like just go out with this complete stranger who I met ten minutes ago." Uh, and has just, said you know, almost nothing but asking my child to fly across the country with me to yeah, run right. away from from me. And, yeah, yeah this this truck, it's fine. And this is getting a little ahead. The next chapter, they sit in that truck for at least ten minutes and just talk while his parents right. are watching about. I oh. I'm very excited to to get into that in the next episode because uh, it's just more weird. But Such I do I do want to say though, when he does finally get uncomfortable right at the end of it, being like. Is he gonna steal my kid? <laughs> like right at the end of this. Sorry, go on. That that parental reaction was way slow. But I do <laughs> just want to say, like, it, it, you know, if people are listening and they haven't read The Shining, it's important to know the intent here is actually pure. The, mm-hmm. the intent here is we we find out that um, Dick Holleran, who's the cook, he actually has some of the powers that Danny has as well. And he, I think he can sense that the overlook has some power too. It's not good. And I think he can, he senses that this is not a a recipe. This is not good. Like this is not a good recipe. Like this is a bad situation. So, and again, I I just think it's very important to, to point that out here. This is the purest intent. Right, right. And like you were saying, this is a simpler time, and this was with the purest intent. So if you're only following the, the show here, just know that this this is not this is nothing weird. I'd no. also like you to know that it's kind of weird to only listen. But that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I love you. You're great. Yeah. Keep on doing you. You know what? Listen twice. That's the same yeah, as reading. Right. Yeah, exactly. You'll you'll get it eventually. Oh. Um so, and you you just mentioned this too. Very important that one of the times that he asked Danny to come to Florida, he did it telepathically. Right, right. And, and both Danny I, and Dick and Halloran slip up in this conversation. There's a point at which Halloran calls Danny Doc, which is his yes. parents' nickname for him. And then ends up, they're like, well, what, how do you know that? And he's like, uh, he looks like a doc. What up? Doc? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> and his parents like, all right, he's still not going to Florida with you. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a point at which um, Halloran asked Danny if he remembers his name, and he says, Halloran, dick to your friends. And right. They exchange, like, Danny's parents exchange to look like, I'm pretty sure he didn't tell us his first name. <laughs> yeah, they, bas- they basically both slip up there and they, they use their either their nickname or their first name. And the parents are just confused. I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like if you're in that situation, you already know that your kid is special. And already, at the end of the day, already maintain a certain level of denial <laughs> might as well. Right. But you also know that this guy's about to leave as well. Right. Like you're just like, well, hopefully not with your kid. Yeah. Right. Like, right. imagine not act, like being at a point 
culturally when you don't have exposure to The Shining just as a passive media concept. Like the day this book came out and you read, you read this chapter and it might just be looking back with a modern mind, but I, I read this and be like, this guy is going to kidnap this child. That's what's going wrong in this book. Yeah, literally the second someone's, the second a stranger says to my kid, you should come to Florida with me, I'm calling the police immediately. Yeah, like this guy's not coming near my kid ever again, but you should probably be watching this person. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, it, it ends up okay. Right. It's not that kind of child abuse book. Right. It, again, purest intentions from. And another thing, too, is again, just uh, Dick Holleran, you, you get some description of him. Uh, he's an old, uh, like an old uh, African American male. He, uh, he, and he's just a gentle soul. Oh like, yeah. He's just a great super, guy. Like just gentle soul, super nice. And it actually, Stephen King actually goes back and just going back to show you that Dick Holleran also doesn't like Ullman. Right. Yep. And he gives you just a, a, yet a third perspective on how another person who is super nice reacts in as well. And Dick Holler basically just says, yeah, he can be, he can be rough at times, you know, whatever. I don't really too, too much care for him. Um, but again, it's, it's not that like seething hatred that Jack And confirming has. that he's really good at his job. Yeah. Right. I, I think we should just toss out uh, between Halloran and Watson. We do learn of one of the like overlooks tragedies that there is this old woman who essentially was there with a uh, lover and when she, her lover stole her car, she overdosed. And between all men and uh, pulling some strings and the woman's husband, they kind of kept it out of the newspaper. Oh, and then they actually talked about there was there was a time in which I think one of the maids or something had seen like the dead body in the room or something like it. it and then there she had, like whole, immediately quit. Yeah, I think Halloran at some point says like every hotel has ghosts, but the Overlook has more than its share. Right. Exactly. And you know, I'm just foreshadowing. Yeah, I don't want to say this is going to come up later on in the book. Um, but you know, again, if you're reading along too, you might want to pay attention to that. That's <laughs> to it's, it's a special plot point that we that we can use later. <laughs> right. Uh, but I guess for like what else happens in this chapter, like physically, Halloran shows them the kitchen. Talks to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he showed him and the book went through great detail about how much food they had, which immediately made me hungry. I think I think yeah. that's what I did after I read the chapter. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go eat now. Yep, yep. Um, I got a turkey in there. Yeah, it's good stuff. But I think that was interesting, too. I, I think one of the most important things about that is you're sort of setting this precedent where food's not going to be an issue. Right. Right. Like, you know, they're stranded there for several months. Oh, yeah. We um, should put it like the roads completely uh, during the winter get closed off. There'll be snowfall. That's just blocking them off for months. Yeah. And they they also, field, it's like an hour or two ride. Right. And they, they talked about like if a medical emergency did happen, they would basically have to wait for like uh, a helicopter to come and it like it would be a long time. Yeah. 
they would be waiting for like, I think they said like an hour or something. Yeah. So again, uh, interesting, right? Yep. You have a guy who's, who has a short fuse. Uh, and they also said that Danny has fainting spells. Right. Right. Which, which we, the reader know what's going on with that. The parents think it's a medical issue. Right. It's just something that I felt was a little weird. Like if you know that your kid has fainting spells and you're going to take him to like an isolated. And this, again, this might be a time thing too, right? A simpler time when I think people were a little bit less um, worried, like constantly worried all the time that, that people are seem to be now. Yeah. I mean, but we also like can't factor out the, monetary like the, the economic desperation they're under right now like they yeah, are that is true money. like and he has no job right yeah and no one is going to hire him for a job that he's going to be willing to do like yeah, yeah. so that um and that and the overlook to- the overlook wants them that's the yes. thing it's willing to throw bikes into streets <laughs> right. miles away right streets away uh, and that's uh in the chapter ten. We're through the first uh, part. Um, I think uh, chapter like the next episode. One sec, yeah. The next Looks episode like- take us through part two and into part uh three. Yeah, part two is is and I'm looking at it now. Part two looks super short. Yeah, uh, by the way, so we're gonna be doing chapters eleven to seventeen. Um, which is going to be, so right now we're in the closing day, but our next section is called the wasp's nest. So, which probably isn't bad. No, no. I mean, that doesn't feel, (laughs) I mean, wasps just make jam and that, right. Let them, they have so much bread already. We already got it. It's going to be fine. All right. All the bad stuff's already happened. Yeah, yeah. No, the, he broke his 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 kid's arm a while back. This is just them growing together as a family and working out their shit. Yeah, it's actually and, it's actually a feel good story. That's why the book is called The Shining because it's it's like the morning, the sunrise is like shining through the darkness. You know, like that's what this is really a feel good story. I I see that's where that's the foreshadowing, right? Yep, yep. They're, they're gonna be like, ha, ah, wow, we didn't end up like Grady at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not one bit, no how. Right. Uh, oh my god. Any other final words before we close this one off? Uh no, I think that's it for me. Like I'm excited because I we're we're about to get into it. I am ridiculously excited. I am so glad to be back on the air bringing you this top notch one hundred percent perfect commentary from me and Mark. We've we've uh we're experts. I declared it right now. That's really all that accounts. I mean, this is the number one Stephen King uh, book club podcast uh, that I'm aware of. At least the number one that we're both on. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I must know every single podcast we're both on. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. But I guess uh, there's nothing else. Until next time, I've been an officious little prick. And you've read the book. <laughs> Oh. <sighs>
Hole in the Wall Book Club is a part of the Icy New York Productions Network and produced and edited by Anthony Sheets. The music in this episode is Supernatural Radio by Kevin McLeod. There'll be a link to his license and website in the show notes. If you want to get a hold of us, tweet us at Icy New Year or send an email to IcyNewYear at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to tell a friend or leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. Word of mouth and five-star reviews really help us get out in front of more people and let us expand and do more things. More information on the show can be found on IcyNewYear.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.